Hi, superstars. Meg here. I've got your June awesome overflow ready for you. In fact, this is unprecedented. We've never done this before, but for the first time ever, our overflow is actually two episodes. It's a part one and a part two. So you guys are getting awesome overflow for June part one today. And then on Friday, I'm going to drop this same one, this overflow that you're about to listen to. I'm going to drop it into the main sort of awesome feed as a reminder to the awesome community at large, one of the benefits that you get when you become a superstar. So this is going to be coming out to them on Friday, July the 2nd. But for you guys on Friday, July the 2nd, I'm going to drop part two of the awesome overflow. This whole conversation is between my sister Emily and I. We asked the awesomes of Instagram, what advice can we give you? We got so much response that we had to do a part one and a part two. So again, you guys are getting this today. You're getting part two on Friday, July the 2nd. Okay. One other housekeeping thing that I wanted to make you aware of, I did send out a message through Patreon and I put this in the Superstars group on Facebook, but I know sometimes things get lost in the shuffle. If you haven't already, if you would like to sign up to be able to get texts from me or other people on the Sort of Awesome team, you can do that by texting 1-405-251-8330. I will put that number in the show notes for this overflow episode, but this is through a really cool app called Community. And basically it allows me to send out texts to any of our superstars who sign up. But when it comes to your phone, it looks like it's a text just from me. And it is from me. It's from me really, truly. There's no bots involved, no AI. It's really me sending these texts. But then it's just a text conversation between me and you. You are not getting texts from hundreds of people. It's not a hundreds of people kind of group text situation. It's just a conversation between me and you. I love this. We have been having so much fun with it already. Because we can really just have conversations the way many of us talk to our friends these days, which is on text. And so, yeah, if you would like to sign up to get texts from me about all kinds of things, um, not just sort of awesome related, but like product recommendations, meal ideas, questions, those types of things, sign up to get texts from me at 1-405-251-8330. Again, that number will be in the show notes for you. Okay, well, let's get to that conversation for the June Awesome Overflow. Hi, superstars. Welcome to another edition of Awesome Overflow. If you are new to being a superstar, welcome. We are so thrilled that you are here. And if you haven't gotten a chance to listen to the Awesome Overflows yet, this is the basic setup. You know, every single week on Sorta Awesome, we are talking about all kinds of awesome things in our lives. We definitely highlight them in Awesome of the Week. We give you our awesome lists. But even still, there are some things that we just want to say for the superstars to talk about. So we often save that for our awesome overflow to have those deeper connection discussions. So we thought this month it would be so fun if since I'm joined by my sister and sort of awesome regular Emily Harris. Hi, Emily. Hi, Meg. We thought it'd be so fun to do a sisterly advice edition of Awesome Overflow. I've seen a number of podcasters lately doing listener advice, question and answer kinds of episodes. Um, Also, Emily and I being sisters who are only 14 months apart, we do tend to like to give each other advice, sometimes solicited, sometimes Sometimes not. not. 
So we thought we would open it up to the awesomes. We actually asked the awesomes of Instagram for some areas of life that they might like to get some good old fashioned sisterly advice from. So I collected some of those questions that they sent in. And Emily, let's just dive in. There's a couple of these I think that you're going to be really well equipped to speak to some that I can speak to, some we're just going to be spitballing and just you giving you like what our gut response is, but it may not be the right advice. But you know, that's how it is with sisters. Sometimes you're just like, right. I just got to tell you this thing that's on my heart. It may not check out with a therapist, but it's what I think. Right. right. <laughs> or any other professional. Yeah. Or any other sure. healthcare mental health or otherwise <laughs> professional. Yeah. We're just sister to sister talking here. Yes. So let's get into it. Actually, the very first one, Emily, is I just, I need some actual advice from you. And this is not, I did not orchestrate this for the show. This is real life. Okay. Let me give you a little context. Um, Emily is somebody who I trust for all kinds of skincare, beauty advice, Emily, for years, you have absolutely had your like finger on the pulse. Is that a saying? Yes, it is. What did I say? And I was like, finger on the pulse. This feels so weird. Um, (laughs) Of like, what is, what's, what's trending? What's good? What are people into right now? So has it been over a year now that you have been using tretinoin? Yes. It's been about two and a half years, actually. So you started using tretinoin two and a half years ago. I have been deliberating it for two and a half years. But recently I was on a subreddit that's called, it's like 45 plus skincare. So on Reddit, there's a huge, huge subreddit called skincare addiction. Like literally tens of thousands of people subscribe to that one. Then there was like a spinoff of that that's like 30 and over skincare. Mm-hmm. which I subscribe to and sometimes read, but you know, I'm 44. My skincare needs are different from a 30 year old's. Right. And so then there's a new one that's like 45 plus I'm close to 45. Anyway, I was reading in that forum and a woman posted a picture of herself. She's like, I just turned 49 and here's a selfie and Emily. Her skin looked amazing. I wouldn't even have guessed that she was 30 and she's 49. And she was like, it's all because of tretinoin or tret as people in the uh, skincare realm tend to call it. The cool people. The cool people. If you're in the know, then you just call it tret. I was like, you know what? Maybe it's time. As you awesomes and superstars know, I have a very conflicted relationship with the anti-aging thing. Sometimes I'm like, you know what? No, just forget it. I'm not going to spend my time, money, energy on this. It's just, it is what it is. I'm a woman in my 40s. I look how I look. And then other times I'm like, did you see this new wrinkle on my forehead? (laughs) What's going on with my neck? What's happening to my neck? My neck, I was just telling Matt the other night that my neck is one thing that I will absolutely like do something really big for, because I feel like that is the most telling part of my aging is my neck. All of that to say, I have such a complicated, conflicted, on again, off again relationship with anti-aging, but I'm really, truly thinking, what if I just tried Tret? I don't have to use it forever. What if I tried it? But here's the thing that stops me. I feel like, and I've, I've noticed this from you talking about it, it seems to me like it's a little bit more high maintenance that I'm used to okay. in the sense that 
there's a lot of trial and error. And then you have to do a lot of sunscreen situation. Just, okay. Hmm. I'm getting ahead of myself. Yes. Here's my advice question for you, sister. Okay. Explain to me like I'm five years old. <laughs> how... <laughs> Tretinoid works. Okay. But well, the five year olds should not be worried about anti <laughs> Right. But as if I'm on that level, kindergarten level explanation, how does using tretinoin on your face work? Okay. Well, um, so tretinoin is a derivative of vitamin A. Yeah. And okay. um, it basically, now I, I'm not a chemist and I'm not a dermatologist, but I know that it attacks acne. Okay, I know yeah. that it um, it makes your skin cell turnover um, much faster. Okay, it um, enhances the production of skin cell turnover. Okay, um, which kind of is a natural exfoliator. Okay, um, and I don't know if you know this, but tretinoin, the topical version of Retin A is the same thing as Accutane. So Accutane is isotretinoin and tretinoin topical is just like the tretinoin, you know, like the different strengths or whatever. It's isotretinoin. It's just the topical. No, Accutane is a pill form. (gasps) Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's the oral version of it. So this is not your first go around with tretinoin in, in terms of like Retin-A, didn't you use Retin-A for acne when you were younger? I did. Yes. Okay. Um, so if you remember, I got acne really young. Well, I mean, mm-hmm. at, at least what felt like really young for me. I got it in like sixth grade. Right, right, right. And yes. um, mom took me to a dermatologist and I got put on some antibiotics and um, the Retin-A and it really helped. Now, I will tell you that when I was younger... Uh, it took me a lot longer to get used to. It took my skin a lot longer to get used to um, get used to it because it was so harsh. Okay. Um, yes. And this time around using it as an adult, it's been much more, the irritation has been almost non-existent. Okay. Um, just really mild. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. So this is my second um, go around on it. And, um, yeah, I mean, I was just actually in the dermatology office the other day, a couple months ago for a different issue. And I asked her for a refill on the tretinoin. And I said, you know, are there any like negative long-term effects of using this? And she was like, no, she was like me and all of my dermatologist friends use this all the time. Long-term. Yes. Okay. So the reason I feel like it's high maintenance, you mentioned this, is initially it seems like there is a pretty good chance you're going to have some some irritation. Is is that in the form of like redness, peeling? What could I expect when I first start? And again, I wouldn't be using it for acne. I'd be using it to target some wrinkles. Right, um, right. Particularly my, my forehead just worries me so much. Yes. Well, I mean, yeah. I mean, mine does too. My forehead is... You're like probably where I have the most wrinkles. Your forehead has a lot of wrinkles. No, I was no, I was agreeing with you about my forehead. My forehead is. I really don't have a lot of other wrinkle issues except for my forehead. I guess is what I'm trying to say. Um, I will tell you that my main um, problem when I first started using it was the burning. I had a little bit of peeling and a little bit of redness, but. In the morning when I would put makeup on, now what I probably didn't do was um, like after I put my moisturizer on, I probably didn't wait enough for it to sink in before applying my makeup. 
Okay. But I will tell you that once I started putting my makeup on, and this was probably the first month or so, my yeah, face yeah. would burn. It would feel okay. like it was on fire. And okay. it was really just my face getting used to it. And so I went into that Reddit group, which has, yes. you know, like every answer you could ever imagine to, to try to no one, any question that you would have. And I took the advice of some people. So I started buffering. Yes. Do you know what that is? Okay. I've heard of this, but okay. please explain to me what that means exactly. Right. So buffering means that you're buffering with a moisturizer. So okay. you're either doing one of two things. You're either mixing it, mixing the tretinoin um, solution with okay. a moisturizer, or after you wash your face, you're putting moisturizer on your face and waiting five or 10 minutes and then okay. putting the tretinoin on. Okay, so there's some kind of layer that yes. literally acts as a buffer to yes. lessen the harshness of the tretinoin. Yes. And just to clarify, the subreddit you're talking about, there is a specific subreddit just for tretinoin users. There is, yes. And it has like, okay. gosh, like 80,000 members or something. Oh my God. Yeah, I mean, if you ever have a question, like a lot of people have asked me about tretinoin and they asked me a lot of um really individual questions. And it's hard to answer because everybody's body is going to react differently. Yeah. But what I tell them is I just went on to Reddit and I just read what other people did. And it is, it is trial and error. Okay. Maybe three or four weeks, you are going to be doing trial and error. For example, you may not apply it every night when you first start out. Okay. Or you may apply it every night and buffer or just, you know, find out what works for you. Okay. Yeah. Two more quick questions. I know when you're using Tret, you have to have, like, you have to be serious about sunscreen, right? Yes. Yes. And so does that mean sunscreen everywhere or just for the places that you're using? Like, okay, does using tretinoin amplify your um, tendency to get sunburned, like, on your shoulders or something? Yes. Even if you're just using it on your face. Okay. Right. Yes. So I learned that the hard way. (laughs) Um, One time, I think... This was a while ago. This was probably about 10 years ago. Um, mm-hmm. I was actually on tretinoin. I forgot about this. I was on tretinoin just short term. And I went to the beach for spring break. And I and I was, it was like a cloudy day. And I really mm-hmm. didn't think about using sunscreen, even though I didn't have like a, sun, a, sun, a swimsuit on. I had like, I think like a tank top on and I didn't have any sunscreen on and my shoulders got so sunburned. It was probably one of the worst sunburns I've ever had. And so, yes. So because tretinoin is in your bloodstream, you really need to be careful about sunscreen, protecting yourself head to toe. Shoot. Maybe I should wait for the fall to start it then if I'm going to start it. Right. So I don't use tretinoin in the summer. I take a break from it just because I'm so nervous about now. I still wear sunscreen, um, you know, head to toe, but I'm just so nervous about getting um, sunburned because of that one really bad sunburn that I just stopped using it in the summer just because I'm, I, yeah, I'm just too worried about it. Last question. You go to a dermatologist for your prescription. There are now lots of online um, companies, brands that allow you to connect with a dermatologist and um, then they give you like a prescription via the internet or whatever, like through your online subscription with them. There's various companies and brands that do this. Is this going to be the same as going to a dermatologist, do you think, in person? Um, I mean, 
Yes and no. I would say that you're still consulting with a physician or at least a healthcare uh, professional. Mm -hmm. I will say that I have talked to several people who have used an online dermatologist um, with one of those companies. Yeah. And I think that um, you just kind of have to outweigh the pros and cons. Like some of the pros are that you don't have to make an appointment and go actually go physically, you know, just like anything else, go Mm -hmm. to a dermatology office. Um, But I think some of the cons are that some of these doctors will um, start out at the weakest strength, prescribing you the weakest strength of tretinoin, which, you know, for someone like you who doesn't really have acne, because I had acne and wrinkles. Okay. Acne and wrinkles were two of my main... um, Got it. Skincare, you know, problems that I wanted to address. Right. But with you, you're just worried about wrinkles. So maybe like, because I'm on 0.50 strength. Okay. I think it's 0.50. It's something, it's like either 0.050 or 0.50. Yeah. But um, there's a strength that's a little bit, that's one step weaker than that. And, yeah. you know, that might work for you. Okay. Um, I will also say that some doll, some online dermatologists will uh, compound the tretinoin with stuff that you may not need, um, like clindamycin. So I've heard that a lot of people, some people that have used the online dermatology um, uh, services have asked for tretinoin and then gotten other stuff compounded with a tretinoin that they didn't necessarily need, like clindamycin. Clindamycin Mm -hmm. is a topical antibiotic that stops the production um, of the bacterial acne. Okay. Um, You know, that's not something that you would necessarily need, but there, I I think, I don't know. I think going to a a dermatologist in person um, might kind of um, lessen that lost that all of that information lost in translation that you kind of get with an online dermatologist. Okay. This was yeah. super helpful advice. Thank you for giving me yeah. a complete primer on trying to get started on TRET. But now I do think, okay, I'm just going to wait probably until the fall before yes. I start because yes. obviously I'll be in the sun a lot this summer. Okay. Yes. Next up, we have a question from Kate. Kate says, does anyone curl their eyelashes anymore? And if so, do you have a recommendation? Like how, what do I do? What do I use? So Again, I'm going to let you take the lead on this. Okay. Um, I have a favorite eyelash curler. Surprise, okay. surprise. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> right? um, it is from Shishido. It's just okay. a metal eyelash curler. It is a little bit pricier than um, like what you could get at the drugstore. It's $22. Okay. But I will tell you that it makes a huge difference. Just like you, I have short, stubby lashes. Blonde. Blonde, short lashes when I'm not wearing mascara. You can't even tell I have eyelashes. And when I use this, especially when I make sure that I have, because when you get this eyelash curler, it comes with an extra replacement pad. Oh, okay. And yes. So when you're using it and your pad is clean and new, you know, switch out your pads pretty often. You can really, I can really tell the difference. Okay. Good to know. We'll put a link in the show notes for anybody who wants to get that one. I have found with some things like a tool like that, if you go ahead and get the higher price point one, just over time, you're going to be so much happier that you did that instead of 
you know, one of the lower end ones that either is going to pinch your eyelids or just stop working over time. Right. And something else I do, no one has ever um, told me to do this. It's something else I do is once I have the mascara on, I'll use it again. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. I'll use it again. And, um, you know, depending on what kind of mascara you have, you might have to like kind of straighten out your, your lashes Mm -hmm. a little bit after you use it, but it really helps. Okay. Good to know. Good to know. I tend to not do it, but that's just because I'm lazy. So (laughs) (laughs) that's the answer to a lot of my questions. I don't do it. I probably should, but I am lazy. Right. Um, Okay. Well, here's a question from an awesome named Megan N. And she said she's going from one to two kids in less than a month and she's in grad school and her oldest is three and a half. And Emily, when I read this, I was like, okay, I'm going back in time to when we were getting ready for AJ. Uh Daisy was almost three. Now I wasn't in grad school. I cannot imagine the added stress of that. Mm -hmm. But I was thinking about Megan's question and her asking for advice on like, how do you make this work? And I will say, the most helpful advice that anyone gave me when I was going from one to two kids, and this actually helped on into the future because I had some more babies after that too. <laughs> we had a couple more. A couple more. Um, is when it comes to, especially if you have little ones and you're adding a baby to the family, let the baby cry, help the older kid. Babies mm. are going to cry. They cry a lot. Now, that was hard for me because I don't like for my babies to cry. And yeah. I spent a lot of time... That, uh, creating a life where the babies don't cry very much. However, especially going from one to two, there were times when AJ either just had to be in her swing or we had, you know, the Fisher Price rock and plays, which were amazing. They're off the market now. Mm -hmm. Um, But I would just have to let her just cry for a little while. So I could really focus in helping Daisy. We were also potty training Daisy. It was a wonderful time of life having a newborn and potty training. (laughs) Um, Daisy was also very newly verbal. Right. When right. Asia was born, she had delayed uh, speech situation. Um, and so that was so helpful because my friends who had more kids than me were like, let the baby cry, help the older kid because the baby's not going to remember. The older kid is the one who's going through a really big transition here. The baby babies are going to cry. They're upset because they're new to this whole world. <laughs> Yes. So yes. they're going to be upset sometimes, but the, the toddlers, the preschoolers, they're going through a major life transition and they are navigating some really big feelings as they try to say, you know, try to like, um, what's the word? Like it's a huge sense of disequilibrium when right. they have been, especially going from one to two, they have been the center of mom and dad's world. Mm-hmm. And now there's this new one. So do what you can to, not every single time, like you have to be reasonable about it, especially Mm -hmm. if you're nursing the new baby. Like sometimes it just is what it is. Now the grad school component. Oh my gosh, Emily, you've been through grad school. You have your master's, you know, the intensity there. Yes. Can you imagine the, uh, the stress of it all? No, I can't. Um, when I was in grad school, I was teaching full time and there were times when I would find myself in my storage closet during my conference period, writing papers. Um, So, you know, you just kind of have to do what you have to do. Um, If that means late nights, you know, or early mornings, find your groove, but just know that it won't last forever. 
it won't last forever for sure, for sure. So I hope that's helpful for Megan. Um, Okay, Emily, here's an interesting one that you can speak to, I think. Okay. A question from an awesome named Emily. Emily E said, post-pandemic, I'm in my 40s. How do I get back into dating? All right. So from one Emily to another, (laughs) what advice do you have for Emily E? Well... The advice I have is what I did. I just went on, you know, the dating apps and yeah. I mean, I found think that's myself much what everyone does these yeah, days, right? Found myself a really good man. I mean, you know, there are other things you can do. Um, if you don't like the idea of using a dating app, you can always look for other ways to meet people, such as, you know, meetups, uh, the whole group meetup is um, a new thing or not a new thing. I'm sorry. It's still a thing. Um, And, you know, there's also like in my little town, like I live in Rowlett, which is a suburb of Dallas. Mm -hmm. And just in Rowlett alone, there are singles groups and social groups. So Um, I would just say like, you know, find, find groups, uh, find um, groups where you um, find groups with people who share the same interests that you have. Totally. I do think, I do wonder. So you and Matt started dating before the pandemic? Is that right? No, no, it was in the middle of it. In the middle of it? Yeah. Okay. So this is a a big question that I think I would want to know, especially as we're coming out of like the the pandemic, but maybe it's not as big of a deal as it was during quarantine. But like, Mm -hmm. what... Like what is what are their social what are their expectations socially right now right so right if they're if they are going to be more on the like conservative side in terms of like conservative about their exposure to other people or if they're a little bit more freewheeling about it that would be an important thing to navigate and so if you do let's just say you do connect through a dating app do you think that there's a lot of back and forth conversation or have you experienced a lot of back and forth conversation before you actually like meet somebody to go out for a a date, a a coffee or whatever, where you could kind of have those kinds of conversations or what does that look like? even? Yeah. So when Matt and I were first talking, there was a lot of conversation about safety, about COVID, you know, being safe during COVID. Right, right, right. I was more concerned than he was. Um, you know, I think, I think if he was here right now, he would tell you that he fell pretty fast for me and he was like, screw it. You know, like I'm going to live my life and I'm going to meet you and I'm going to hang out (laughs) with you and screw the six feet and, you know, blah, 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 blah. But I was more concerned about it just for other reasons. And I was going back to teaching, you know, we met like right when school was about to be back in session. And, um, so, I mean, yeah, I mean, and, you know, we did the, FaceTiming and stuff like that. So I think that there is a whole lot of room. I think there should be a whole lot of room for discussion about what expectations are. And, you know, yeah. I mean, it, anything like he- other health concerns or, sure, you know, yeah. family concerns or whatever. Totally. Yes. Yeah. yeah. But it does really seem to me, again, just living vicariously through you that – Dating apps are not like that just seems like it is totally the standard and the norm for oh, how yes. most people meet these days. Oh my gosh, yes. Um, it's just kind of an accepted part of life. Unless right. you do I mean, I do think if you are um 
out and about enough to where you do, like if you're active in a community group or church or those types of things, it might kind of broaden your in-person capability of meeting people. But it seems like dating apps just kind of help you to at least like know who else is like looking for somebody to meet and right. And also like, yeah. And also like I'm an introvert. So like I am a homebody, so I don't really do a whole lot of stuff except for my recovery group, which, you know, would be a great place to meet someone. But, um, you know, other than that, like I don't really do a whole lot just because, you know, I like being at home and yeah, you know, whatever. So, I mean, it was a great choice for me. Because like you said, I could see, you know, who else was out there and all that. So that makes sense. And I think that you're right. Like, I think there should be a lot of space for having conversations, especially, you know, different parts of the country are going to have different cultures and different climates for what post-pandemic life looks like. And so I think that it should be normalized, like that, you know, that you're going to be having some of these conversations and not to be offended by it and also to expect for other people to not be like offended if, if somebody wants to press into that conversation a little bit, does that make sense? Yeah, totally. Absolutely. Okay. Yes. All right. Our next one is a little bit more serious and one that we actually do have some um, life experience with. So this comes from Instagram user life passionately, who is an awesome life passionately asks, how do you talk to your sister about poor parenting skills, bad choices, etc.? So we have a family member that we've navigated this with. Yes. Um, first of all, I want to completely acknowledge and, and affirm. And this is something Laura Tremaine says all the time. I think she said it on the show. Um, there's a very specific kind of hurt and pain around sibling issues. Even if it's a sibling mm-hmm. that you're not particularly close to, yeah. that family bond, it's real. And sometimes the watching a sibling go through painful things, especially if they're situations that you look at your, their life and you can see how they got there and you're, you're right. watching them live out the consequences of some choices. Right. It's a really specific kind of pain. So I just want to really affirm, first of all, this is tough. Let's just talk about situations that are not actually causing direct harm to anybody. Mm-hmm. Obviously we would want to say in the case of physical, emotional, mental abuse or endangerment of a person that needs to be escalated to the next level of right. reporting to the appropriate agency or care provider in your community or yeah. in that, or in that person's community, which you and I have had to experience. And yes. Yes. Have had to walk down that road as well. And it's extremely heartbreaking and heart wrenching and difficult. So our mm-hmm. hearts go out to anybody who's in that situation, but let's pull back from like actual endangerment situations and just talk about, Oh my gosh, why are you doing this? I don't understand. How yeah. can you not see what a bad choice this is? Yeah. Um, I will first speak to the parenting thing because I've had to remind myself of this so much, not just in family context, but also with friends or just like strangers that just because I have, we create a certain culture of like what parenting looks like in our family doesn't mean that's right for everybody. And that's okay. I think I've mentioned on the show before, but it's been years ago, the acronym tiny C, this is not your child. Um, I have to remind myself of that even still often though I have Emily, 
I've, I've loosened way up on the on the judgmental scale of other yes. parenting choices. The more yes. kids I have, the more I'm like, hey, whatever you got to do, yeah. I get it. Yeah. But when when I was a newer parent and my kids were younger and I still thought I had a lot of answers, um, I'd have to remind myself, this is not your child. This is not your child. An example of that being like, I have very big feelings about bedtimes and the necessity for kids and sleep. Like it's just something that's very important to be. All of my little kids go to bed. What a lot of people might consider to be pretty early. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I would be out at a store, you know, by myself at eight thirty, nine o'clock at night and see people out or even later mm-hmm. see people out with their kids. And I'm just like, Oh my God, they should be in bed. It's so late. <laughs> but then after my myself, it's not your child. You don't know this situation. Right. You don't know right. why they're out. Maybe this is like the only time they've ever done it. Or maybe this is the only time they get to spend with their kid. Cause they've been at work right. all day. Like calm down. Yeah. It's not your child. Yeah. So there's that. But then also Emily, don't you think there's sometimes that you may want to speak into the life of your sibling with some parenting things or just general life choices. This again, this is such a tricky thing that you and I both have had to balance in real life. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. What would you say to this? I would say, um, you know, it's kind of different with us though, because, you know, our family member has some developmental delays. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think it, it's really different, but it is tricky. I think, um, I think it's, I think if depending on the relationship, I think it's, it's sometimes okay to say, Hey, I noticed that. I think you're so right. I think the, the temperature of the relationship can have a big role in this, right? Yeah. Because if it's a sibling where things are already tense, and yeah. it's a it's a it's a dynamic where one or the other of you already feels defensive about things, particularly if you are the person in the relationship who feels like that person is making bad decisions, and then that yeah. person is like, "You always think I'm making bad decisions." <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. If there's a history of that, that's where it can get really tricky. Yeah. And so here are a couple of things that I have noticed work well. Um, number one, if this person is coming to you and saying like, Oh, I can't believe this happened to me again. Like I lost my job again because my boss, blah, 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 blah. That sometimes you can kind of ask questions, like say more about that. Mm -hmm. What happened? And then what was your role in this? Sometimes there can be a little bit of back and forth and a little bit of like gentle direction of, do you see kind of how you got into this situation? And yeah. And those types of things. Um, sometimes I will just say, do you, do you want me to help you? Do you want me to um, tell you what I think? Or are you just venting? That's a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but then sometimes, as you know very well, sometimes when the person is really closed off and does not want to hear mm-hmm. the, um, the, advice or the gentle direction or the direct direction. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Sometimes we have to set a boundary for ourselves, and that can be really hard too, to be like, nobody's in danger here. Everyone is at the, at the very least safe. Mm -hmm. And so I have to step back and just let natural consequences play out the way they're going to. Right. And that can be really hard. Yeah. And then sometimes in those circumstances, I think it's also worth evaluating um, 
why it bothers you. If, if, you know, if everything's okay and no one's in danger, you know, I think it's probably worth more um, to kind of sit with that. Yes. And, um, you know, like I said, evaluate kind of, you know, where that's coming from. Exactly. I want to say too, that um, sometimes it's such a tricky line to know, like, is everybody safe? Like with this particular Mm -hmm. family member, they have a a pattern of getting involved with people who are not safe. Yeah. And so I will say to this person, like, when you tell me that this person in your life did this, that feels like a really big red flag to me. Do you think that that's a red flag? Do you see why I'm concerned about this? Yeah. That feels like an unsafe thing to say for that person to say, or that feels kind of like borderline emotionally abusive. Do you, does does it hit you that way? How are you feeling about it? And again, depending on the dynamic that your sibling may completely shut down and just cut off the conversation, they may get defensive, but it may give them pause to think about, even if they become defensive in the moment, it may be that you as the sibling can kind of give a little power to that inner voice inside them. That's like, you know what? It's not right. That person should not have said that to me, or this is, this is going to end up being a bad move for me down the road. It's really hard to navigate. And so honestly, as you and I know, sometimes it is a a situation to talk out with your own counselor or therapist or a trusted voice in your life to kind of bounce some things off of, to be like, am I being overbearing in this situation? Do I need to step back? Or do you think I need to press in and do we need to escalate this to the next level? It's Mm -hmm. so individual, but also it can just be so tricky. So, well, yeah. And just, you know, one more thing to that point is, you know, with our particular family member, because this person gets defensive so easily. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I just level with them and I say, you know what? I'm worried about your daughter and I'm worried yes. about you. Yes. And I'm coming to you from a place yes. of love and not yes. criticism, but like, I'm really worried that, you know, A, B and C is happening. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, sometimes it's just okay to be like, Hey, I'm worried. Yes. And I'm coming to you yep. from that place. With this family member of ours, one thing that I accidentally stumbled onto that turned out to be really helpful when this person is getting defensive is like, say, listen, I'm on your team here. So let's say that our family member's name was Susan. I would be like, I am firmly team Susan, ride or die till the end. I'm on your team. And so when I say that I don't like the way this situation's playing out, it's because I'm I'm on your team in this. And so sometimes it can kind of soften the defenses around it. Right. Um, And sometimes not, frankly. And Mm -hmm. so again, sometimes it requires some self-work on our end to be like, maybe I just need to step out of this or I really feel like in my gut, I need to step further into this, even though they don't like it. And it's such an individual situation, even with the same person, Mm -hmm. even with Mm -hmm. the same sibling, there's some situations where you need to step back and there's frankly somewhere you need to step in. Yeah. Very true. I don't know if that was helpful. That was all over the place, but it's very tricky. It is very tricky and we we totally identify with you in that. Um, Okay. Oh, here's a more little bit less serious one. This is from awesome uh, Tiki Knacker who says, what advice do you have for managing tasks and to-dos? So Emily, 
you are a teacher, you have, you're a department chair, you have so much going on professionally, you have a very busy social life, especially for someone who's an introvert. What's your go-to for managing tasks and to-dos? My main go-to, this is so old school, I don't care, it works for me, is a to-do list. Whether it's like, say, in my classroom, um, you know, teachers have so much to do in addition to teaching. I think that's what a lot of people don't realize is that like in on any given day, there is a list of things in the back of our mind that we have to do. We can't do it because we're teaching all day. Well, yeah, exactly. The direct instruction part of teaching is one slice of the teaching. Yes. Tiny, tiny bit. bit. So whenever I'm teaching or I I am in class and I think of something, I just add it to my to-do list and then I'll get to school early and do it or I'll stay late and do it. Um, You know, I'll do that. Or like if I'm at home, uh, like say I need to tidy up, um, I'll do it room by room. Like I'll do the bathroom Monday night, Mm -hmm. you Mm -hmm. know, Mm -hmm. or um, before school, I'll unload the dishwasher and reload it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Something Laura Tremaine does a lot, and this is so helpful, is set a timer. Yes. I can't even tell you like fan of the timer. Yes. If you have a task, um, like the other day I cleaned out two closets. I set a 30 minute timer. I got so much done in that 30 minutes. And then, you know, after that, I didn't worry about the rest of the day. Yep, exactly. Um, I admit, I I agree with all of that. I think that the best to do management system is the one that works best for you, whether it's digital, whether it's pen and paper, my thing is I get overwhelmed really easily. And then I beat myself up at the end of the day because I am way more ambitious with my to-do <laughs> list than I actually realistically have time to do. So yeah. when I get into overwhelm, I narrow it down to the big three. So in the morning, I will be like the big three that have got to be done today, that I want to get done today, that at the end of the day, if I can say these three things got done, I will feel that sense of accomplishment, bring it down to three. And be reasonable about what those three are. And that yeah. helps me sometimes when I'm uh, drowning a little bit to get back on track. And remind the listeners that have young babies and young children at home, what were the like three Ds or something? Three Ds. Yes. Yeah. We've talked yeah. about it many times through the years on Sort of Awesome. If you're in survival mode, whether you yeah. have little kids or you've experienced a death in the family or you're going through job transition, you're in survival mode, the three Ds are dinner dishes and do laundry. So yeah. sometime in the morning, way before four o'clock, you have an idea in mind of what dinner is. So if you need to pull something from the freezer, you're doing that. If you know tonight is takeout night, you can start thinking about what sounds good, blah, blah, blah. So dinner, dishes, just stay. If you can just stay on top of the dishes, whether you're washing them by hand or putting them in the dishwasher, if you can stay on top of the dishes and then do laundry, do a little bit along the way put on a podcast, turn on Mm -hmm. a show to binge on Netflix, something that's a treat while you do it, but get a little bit of laundry done. You will feel so much better and it will help you to ease your way through survival mode for sure. Yes. Okay. Um, Willow in the wilds asked, is it time to get a new pet? Our beloved dog died in September of 2020. So it hasn't been quite a year yet. She's wondering, is it time? My personal vote on this is yes. 
go get a new, <laughs> go get a new pet. I think, you know, grieving is truly a personal process. There are going to be people that need a long time to recover from that loss. There are going to be other people who like right away want to have that love and affection back in their life from a pet. And so I think if Willow in the Wilds is at a point where she's asking, is it time? I think the answer is yes. Well, yeah. And if you're asking, then yes. I think yes. you're ready. Exactly. Yeah. And I think it's important to remember, too, that getting a new pet does not erase the place that your beloved pet held in your life. Mm-hmm. If anything, you may find yourself rem- that it kind of helps to bring back happy memories of that pet that you lost because it'll be like, oh, remember Snoopy used to love to stretch out in that corner too or whatever. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so it kind of, you're, you're blending the love and affection for the pet in your family. Um, the one that you lost with this new one. So my advice is if you are to the point of saying, should I get a new pet? I think it's time to get a new pet. All right. Next question. Next question is from Tessa T. She says, I'm trying to change my diet and it's so hard. Any advice? Oh, goodness. We both have advice with, we both have this situation for sure. I don't know if we have good advice. Yeah. (laughs) What do you think? Um, I know this is so generic, but uh, find what works for you. Yeah. I was thinking too, Tell me what you think. I feel like people are going to be in one of two camps. Either like make the whole change right away, like just boom. Like let's say you want to go off carbs, just like clean your house out. Next day you're off carbs. And then for other people, you're going to be like, oh, I could ease into it. So I'm going to give myself a week to taper off carbs. Right. And then I'm going to be low carb. Right. Does that, does that feel right? Yeah. And, um, she didn't really go into detail about how she wants to change her diet, but I mean, I also think research is important. Um, one of our sort of awesome listeners, Anna Hither say she has been doing intuitive eating. Um, and she, you know, has, has posted about that. I think Mm -hmm. that is a great idea. I think, um, intermittent fasting, um, you know, has some benefits. I think really find what works for you, or maybe you just want to like get some more fruits and vegetables in, you know, maybe sure, it's yeah. not necessarily like a weight um, yeah. Yeah, based yeah. diet, but you just want to eat healthier. So I think so too. I think that that being able to isolate what the motivation is and really forming an attachment to that can really help. Yeah. Um, again, obviously Emily and I are far from being health professionals and we would <laughs> both say work with somebody, talk to somebody, reach out to somebody who is a professional who can help ask questions, give you some guidance if you're on the right path for sure. But like if you're thinking, for example, for me, I have noticed as I've gotten older that I just, as much as I love the taste of sweet and sugary things, when I eat sugar, I just feel miserable. Yeah. I cannot eat sugar in the morning. I just, it messes up my whole day if I eat in the morning, but even just to have, you know, a cookie in the afternoon or something like that, when normally a a sweet craving would hit, okay, I go ahead and have the cookie. But then at the same time, then I'm just like, oh, I'm, I just got to lay down for a little while. (laughs) (laughs) And then, you know, it's a bummer because I didn't want to lay down. I had things that I wanted to get to or whatever. Um, And so I think that the that is a big part of intuitive eating is really paying attention to how you feel as you eat certain foods and what your body is telling you. Um, But I think that if you're like, you know what my goal is 
I just want to feel great throughout the day. I want to feel like I have energy throughout the day. Okay, then you stay attached to that. And then it's more like, this is what I want to bring into my life. And it's not as much like I have to cut this out of my life. Does that make sense? Yes. That's kind of what has worked best for me. And I think that the older I get and the more I really feel the impact of what I eat in my physical body, it actually becomes easier because my brain is like, no, 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 no. Yeah. You don't actually want a cookie. (laughs) You know, I have found most recently a lot of alternatives. Um, I'm doing low carb right now. I'm doing keto. And I made a cheesecake yesterday that has two two grams of carbs per slice and I mean, I have more of a sweet tooth than you do. Like I, so I have so many cavities and fillings you in like my mouth. Candy, I do. I like candy, and I, I just, I have such a sweet tooth. And I ate um, a piece of that cheesecake after dinner, and I felt so satiated. Yeah. And um, you know, I didn't feel yeah. guilty about it, and it was just really good and tasty. So, yes. you know, find those healthy alternatives too. For sure. That can make a big difference as well. Yeah. Okay. Here is a question from Dayjen9 on Instagram. She, speaking of food, asked for quick, easy, on-the-go breakfast and lunch ideas. Um, I know for me, I love any kind of like a wrap, like whether it's a breakfast burrito or like you were saying, like maybe get a low carb. Uh, if you're doing, if you are doing more low carb, get a low carb wrap. But to me, those are like the most portable things ever. I love yes. that you can do, you can easily do it for breakfast or for lunch. Um, and so that's, if I have to be on the go and a lot of people are out of the house, it's summer. Maybe you're packing up to go run your kids around to town to do different camps or swimming lessons or those types of things. And you need something that you can take with you on the go. I love that it's just like all packed into one delicious little package. I know you have had some great luck with just like protein shakes. Oh my gosh. I live, I live by protein shakes. Uh, something I've been doing in the morning is drinking coffee, a protein shake and some bacon and the bacon is already cooked. I buy it already cooked. And then all I have to do is heat it up and it's so easy. Um, something else I started doing was making those little egg muffins. Like it's like egg mixture in a muffin tin, Mm -hmm. putting them in the freezer, heating it up. That's easy, easy peasy. Um, I also always have, um, egg or chicken salad or both. Yeah. I could put that in a tortilla or a lettuce wrap and you know, off I go. Yes. Love it. Okay. One last question for now. We had so many great questions asking for advice come in that Emily and I actually decided we're going to do a part two. We've never done an awesome overflow part one, part two before, but we're going to do a part two. It's going to drop into the Superstars podcast feed on Friday, July the 2nd. Is that right? Is the second? Yep, the second. Yes. And so that will be coming to you guys um, on the second. So we have even more to get to. Um, so stay tuned for the rest. Again, have never done awesome part one, awesome overflow part one, part two, but here we are. Okay, Kate had a question and she asked, what's the best way to get your toenails looking great when they are not. And I actually reached out to Kate to be like, just a little follow-up. Like, what are we talking? We're talking calluses or whatever. And she was like, yeah, basically just like, I haven't been taking care of my toenails. I'm busy. Life moves on. And before you know it, you look down at your feet and you're like, oh no, what's happening here? (laughs) And so 
just generally speaking, especially again, we're all wearing our sandals, our flip flops. We're barefoot at the pool at the beach. What can we do? And I, I have a really good idea, but what, do, what would you say, Emily? Uh, I would say probably now I will tell you right now, I cannot paint my own toenails. Really? I have tried. Yes, Megan. Like it, <laughs> when I paint my own toenails, it looks like a five-year-old did it. Is that I don't do true? it. I know I'm being serious. Okay. Like it's been that way since college. Yeah. So I just, I book the pedicure appointment. I get okay. gel toenails, which frankly last oh. like five or six wow. weeks. Fancy um, lady. It is fancy, but I will tell you that like, um, I have calluses on my big toes. So what I do is I, I get a, like a pumice stick in the yeah. shower or the bath. And I use that about twice a week to kind of cut down on those calluses. Okay. Yes. But something else I do is um, I'll put Vaseline on my feet at night, a couple, a couple of nights a week and yes. then put socks on over the Vaseline. And that'll like make your feet real soft. Okay. Um, there are the, the, there's the baby foot, um, yep. foot uh, masks, masks that you can put on your feet. That's on Amazon. Um, but like, seriously, I, if I don't go get a pedicure, like my toenails look atrocious. They look atrocious. Um, okay. I, no surprise to anybody. I can't do pedicures at the salon. And oh yes, yes. My feet are. Why am I so weird? Why do I have such weird (laughs) idiosyncrasies, especially around nail situations? Now I I can paint my toenails, unlike my my prone to suffocation fingernails. Yeah, but my feet are so ticklish in a wildly uncomfortable way, like where it where it hurts. It hurts. Yeah, I'm thinking of it. I I went there in my mind just now, and. Mm The thought of them like working on calluses on my heels or whatever, even just normal basic pedicure stuff, it's my feet are so ticklish that it just is wildly uncomfortable. Yeah. I I can paint my own toenails. I had no idea that you did that. (laughs) I cannot paint my own toenails. Toenails do always look great. I have to give it to you. Because I always get pedicures. Now I will tell you that with the gel pedicures that I that I get. They are a little bit more pricey, but yeah. really it, it actually evens out because they last so long. Yes. They last yeah. literally like five or six weeks. Okay. Well, that's something to, to take note of. I did find on Amazon, I think I'm going to get this for myself. There is a duo pack, a Fungaway foot soak. Mm-hmm. And an extra strength callus remover gel. It's from a company called Foot Cure. And basically, it's for your home pedicures. And it will help you with everything from calluses to toenail fungus infections, which is very common, especially as we're coming out of a time when we've all been wearing socks and those types of things. Right. It can right. it has tea tree in it, so it can help with like athlete's foot. It helps with irritation, cracked heels. And so you do the soak. It also nourishes and hydrates your feet. You do the soak, then you could use those tools if you wanted to, like if, you know, just like from a home pedicure kit that you can get at Target or Walmart or whatever. Mm-hmm. And um, then also the extra strength callus remover gel. You know, a lot of people think about calluses like on your heels and stuff, but I I get really bad toe calluses too. Mm-hmm. And so, mm-hmm. you know, Kate could use this just to kind of do a little extra work removing those calluses. Then when it comes to the toenails, I don't know if you saw this TikTok. I think it may have been pretty viral, but a person had a toe that I don't want to say it was like 
deformed or anything, but the toe mm-hmm. just like tucked under, it was like the pinky baby toe kind of tucked under the other toes. And so, and you couldn't see where her actual toenail was. So she just mm-hmm. painted on her actual toe. Like it was oh, yeah. the, the skin of her and toe, it didn't like come it was off. a toenail. I guess it, you know, it probably came off eventually, but yeah. when you just looked at her feet, you couldn't tell that it was painted on her skin. Wow. So, okay. You know, Use toenail polish to your advantage, basically. <laughs> yeah. Even if you have little teeny tiny toenails, you can fudge a little bit uh, with your toenail polish, especially when you first do it. Now, over time, it is going to wash off of your skin for sure. Yeah. Um, but you could kind of fudge a little bit to make your toenails look a little bit bigger. So, okay. All right. Like I said, we have even more questions from our awesomes to do a part two. So um, as always, superstars, thank you so much for your support. Your support every single month helps us to grow, reach out, bring more people into the awesome community. You know, our, our sort of tagline for the superstars is lighting up the world with your awesome. And truly, we do believe that every single one of us on the sort of awesome team knows that you all are the ones that are helping us to bring the awesome to the world um, with your support. So thank you so much for this. Make sure you haven't missed anything from our sort of spicy series and all of that good stuff. Emily, thank you for sitting down with me to give some sisterly advice. This has been so fun. Yes, it has been fun. All right. Thanks, superstars. We'll see y'all next time.